thanks for joining us today. We're going to be in several passages, but if you want to turn in your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 3, it's one of the passages um, that we're going to look at uh, multiple verses from. We are continuing our, um, continuing our series on why we believe, and we're already four weeks in uh, to this series, and uh, this will take us through, um, through Easter Sunday, through Resurrection Sunday in April, which is just a month away. And so looking forward to continuing today. The first three weeks, we talked about the importance of, of knowing the right God, of having the right God. And we talked about uh, in week one, has God spoken? And how do we know that? Like, can we trust that the Bible is truly God's revelation to man? Uh, and then we talked about Pastor Caleb preached on um, the triune God of Scripture, and it's important that we have the right God, the God that the Bible um, describes. Um, and then last week we talked specifically about uh, Jesus, the God-man, the second member of the Trinity who came and entered his own creation. Um, and he came to be the sacrifice for our sins. Well, today we're talking about the importance of having the right gospel. Right? We have to have the right God, but it's important we have the right gospel. And so... The question is this, um, how is one made righteous before God? How is one saved? And it's actually, it shouldn't be, but it is somewhat controversial. And you see this not only now, but this is something like since the beginning of the church in the New Testament, that there's this debate about how is one justified? Is it by faith alone or is it by our righteous works or is it a combination of both? And many people who preach a false gospel, um, it's very subtle. Like it doesn't, you know, they're not just like blatantly, they're not just like blatantly, um, you know, preaching a false gospel. It's like they'll, they'll add something to the gospel. Well, that's what happened in the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of the first letters of Paul that he wrote, and it's to a, a group of churches in the Galatia region. Well, what, what was he writing? What was he addressing? Well, he was addressing the fact that there were false teachers that were coming in, and they were adding something to the gospel. They were adding something to faith in Christ alone, faith in Christ's finished work. For them, it was an outward sign for the Jews of circumcision. They were saying, well, that also is what makes someone righteous is faith, but plus, you know, you have to add this to it. And Paul says this, like, this is really, really urgent when he's writing to them and addressing this. He's saying, look, if you, how is it that you began in faith? Why are you trying to now add something to that? And, and the urgency of it is this. Paul says, well, if you're going to follow any works of the law, you've committed yourself to following it entirely. In other words, if you think you're justified by following the law, by your righteous works, the criteria then is you have to follow it in its entire, entirety. You have to follow the whole thing, which is impossible. None of us could follow God's law perfectly one day, let alone a whole lifetime. And Paul's showing the urgency of having the right gospel. And that's very important. Because if we have a gospel that's distorted, he says this, they're preaching another gospel. He says it's, and really there is no other gospel. So in other words, he's saying, when you change the gospel, when you add something to faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ, 
He says it's, it's creating something that's not the gospel. It's another gospel, and there is no other gospel. So it's a false gospel, and the, the, the importance is this. If you're trusting in a, go, a false gospel, it's a gospel that's not real and therefore cannot save you. Just like when we talk with our Mormon or Jehovah's Witness friends, and we we're, we're have to really nail down definitions, and we talk about Jesus, they'll say similar things about Jesus that we would. But really, when you peel away some of that terminology and really see what are they talking about, you know what you find is they're presenting a Jesus, not the creator of all, not the eternal God that we see in scripture, but it's a Jesus that they have made up. It's a Jesus that doesn't exist, therefore cannot save them. And that's why it's a big deal that we have the right God and we have the right gospel. So the question is, why do we believe that we're justified or made righteous by faith alone. What is the reason that we have to believe that? Well, we could look at, like I could quote, like in just proof text and give like all these verses about that it's by faith and by trust and, and it's by believing and it's not by our works. And we could list a bunch. And again, there's times and a place, I think, to be able to use those proof texts of, hey, we have all this scripture that says this, but... I think that um, a really powerful way to approach it is to look at the whole argument Paul lays out in the book of Romans. So we talked about Galatians, right? Paul's writing this letter to the church is saying, don't distort the gospel. Don't listen to false teachers that are trying to tell you that you have to add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ because that's not the true gospel. The true gospel is faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Romans, Paul writes and he's, Paul writes to uh, the, the church of Rome and he's saying, listen, listen, chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. And then he goes on and talks about in Romans one about how that the Gentile world, they're guilty before God. The non-Jews, they're guilty. It's not that they don't have enough evidence of God the thing is, they have enough evidence. They have creation itself that speaks of God. They have even the inward witness, what we call the presuppositional evidence of we know God has created us and put his stamp in us. And we know there's things like absolute morality. We know we look at the universe and we see things like, like the laws of nature that are in place. We know there's laws of logic and, and, and things of that nature. That's an inward witness Plus the outward witness. And Paul says, look, the unbeliever, they're without a defense. They're without an excuse. They know God exists, but they love their unrighteousness. They love their sin. So they're suppressing that truth. And he says, the conclusion, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they're guilty before a righteous, holy God. And then in chapter two, he talks about how the Jews, you're also guilty. He says, you have the law, you've been entrusted with God's word, but just being entrusted and having God's word, look, you, you're not following it and you're, you're not righteous. And he, his conclusion is the Jews, you also were guilty before God. Romans three talks about the whole world is stands guilty before God. And again, it's one of those things where it's like the, 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 the doctor has to give maybe some not so good news to appreciate what you need for the cure. Well, that's the same thing with the gospel is we have to understand why we need a savior. And the reason is because we are unholy. We are unrighteous. 
we are without, uh, without God. In fact, in Romans 3, he talks about, he gives this description when he says there's none righteous. He says, we're all gone to our own way. And then he describes like how people, their feet are quick to find uh, trouble and hands that are quick to do violence and to shed blood. And he describes the heart of the unregenerate man. And you see, it's evil. It's, it's unrighteous. When you look and talk about the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, we just have to look around us. I mean, you see just the horrible depths of depravity of things that the human mind and the human uh, hands are capable of doing to each other. And we have no, no doubt of seeing the depravity. Paul says the whole world's guilty before God, but that's the glorious news of where Jesus Christ the God-man, who we talked about last week, why God entered his own creation and why Jesus came to chase down the rebels, the sinners like you, like me, like the whole world, to chase us down and, and to, to die for our sins, to live the righteous life we couldn't, and to be the payment for our sins. And he says that whoever believes in Christ will be saved and have a new life. Well, Let's look at Romans 3 as he comes to the conclusion of, of really laying out that how all are guilty before God. He says this, how is one justified? So how is one made righteous before God? Do we have to climb our way and achieve our way and try to get to God and gain that favor with God? Is that how we're made righteous or is it by faith in Jesus and his finished work? Well, Paul says this in Romans 3, 21, but now the righteousness of God Without the law is manifested. It's made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, here it is, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. There's no difference. It's like, why? All have sinned. They've come short of the glory of God. But we're freely justified in verse 24 by grace. It's a gift. It's not what we achieve. It's what Christ has achieved for us on the cross. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. It is simply grace by our faith in what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation or the payment for our sin through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So he's saying, look, it is by, by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, because then, where is boasting? Where is boasting? Verse 27, it's excluded. It's excluded. Why? Because it's not by the law, it's by faith. He's saying, look, that, that none of us have anything to boast and brag about because we are saved not by our works, not by following the law, but through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 28, here we go. Here it is. Again, it's important leading up to this powerful, this powerful verse, but knowing, okay, what comes before this verse. Now he says this, therefore we conclude. Here's the conclusion. A man is justified or made righteous before God, declared righteous by faith. Without the, the deeds of the law. He goes on verse 29 and 30 saying, look, God is the justifier, not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. And it's through faith in Christ. 
Verse 31, this is important because we're going to come back to this. He says, so because we're justified by faith, not by following the law, does that mean that we ignore the law, that we make it void, we make the law in effect? He says, no, God forbid. God forbid. In other words, absolutely not. He says, we establish the law. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works, not by following the law. But that doesn't mean the law is then made of no effect. It doesn't mean we ignore the law. It means we follow the law, not to achieve favor with God, but because we have been declared righteous before God. And God gives us a new heart and new desires where we want to follow his. We establish the law. We follow God's law and God's word, not because we're trying to achieve favor with God, but because we have been declared righteous before God. So we see here, it's clearly we're saved by faith, not by our works. Romans is such a beautiful book because the next chapter, chapter four, Paul gives two Old Testament examples. He gives the example of Abraham and he gives the example of David. And he's pointing out how they're justified also by faith. Chapter 5, love how chapter 5 starts out. It says that we who've been justified, we have peace with God. What a beautiful, beautiful verse to know that we have peace with a holy and a righteous God, that we can stand in his, in his presence and not face condemnation and not face judgment. Why? Because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been declared righteous before God. Chapter uh, 6 and, and 7, or in, in chapter, I think it's the end of chapter 5, where he points out how that we're all born in Adam, the first man to ever live. But yet we have new life. We're born again in Christ. That Christ Jesus is a picture of the second Adam, who he came. And he, through Adam's disobedience, plunged the world into sin and condemnation. But through the perfect obedience and righteousness of Jesus, the second Adam, that we now can have salvation, that we're not condemned, but we can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And he talks again about how that, that doesn't mean the grace doesn't mean that we can live however we want and live lawlessly. No, we are actually grace doesn't doesn't do that like grace makes us want to live holy and righteous because we've been saved and talks about in Romans eight. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, to those who have been declared righteous before God, there's no, there's, there's no condemnation. And for those that maybe you struggle with guilt of, of, of past sin and past failures, that's so important for you to know that when God has declared you righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no one that can condemn you. There's nothing that can condemn you. In fact, Paul says this, who can lay any charge to God's elect? Those who've been justified by God, those who are saved, who can bring up any charge or any accusation? And the answer is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because none of those accusations will stick because in the courtroom, in God's perfect system of justice, Jesus Christ took upon him your sin and my sin, and he has declared you and me righteous. His righteousness is placed on our account. That's to, to, be, to be justified. Our sin was placed on him when he died on the cross. And he says, if God's for you, who can be against you? The answer is it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter even when your own heart maybe condemns yourself. God's greater than that. 
and we know that we, are, we have been declared righteous. That yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're fallen. Yes, we have flaws. Yes, we have mistakes. But those things have been placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he has stamped his righteousness. He has declared us righteous. How does that happen? Not by our works. Not by any, any merit of our own. But through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Which last week we talked about the Messiah and why he came. And when Jesus came and lived the righteous life we couldn't. And then died on the cross for our sins. His last words were to tell us die. It is finished. It is finished. He accomplished what we could never hope to accomplish. And when we by faith trust in him. We are made and declared righteous before a holy God. So you might be wondering, well, why is this controversial? Like, why is this even an issue? Why are we even taking time to, to talk about this? Isn't it clear? Doesn't everyone believe that it's by faith alone? I mean, surely everyone that bows to the authority of Scripture, that recognizes that the Scripture is God-breathed, that it is God's Word, I mean, how can people even argue against it? Well, there's a passage in James chapter 2. We have to look at it. James chapter 2. Here's why there's some that would say, well, yes, you're saved by faith, but also by your works. In fact, um, there's an apologist that I sometimes like to listen to. He does great work with debating atheists and does a lot of work and outreach with like Mormons there in the state of Arizona. Uh, his name is uh, Pastor Jeff Durbin. Pastor Jeff Durbin says this about the Mormons. He says that before the Mormons, before they memorized John 3.16... They memorize James chapter 2, right? Because that's their go-to. When the Mormons say, like, you were saved by faith after we've done all we can do. Well, they're quick to point out James 2. James 2, it says that we're justified by our works, doesn't it? Well, let's look at it. Because this is the one passage that people that try to add to the gospel and say that it's, it's faith plus our works. Here's the passage that they go to. So we have to understand what is James 2 actually saying. It's important that we look at it and see that. So uh, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning of the chapter, is talking about um, not showing partiality and favoritism towards people when they come into your assembly. And just because they look, look, look good and maybe have fine clothes and nice, it's like, don't show this preferential treatment to people that you think that maybe can give you something in return. Don't do that. Don't, don't be partial. Don't show prejudice uh, towards people. And then he says in uh, verse number 14, he says, What is a prophet, my brethren, if a man say he has faith but doesn't have works? He says this, can faith save him? Or he's asking, can that kind of faith save someone? If it's faith that is a dead faith. And keep in mind, this is important to understand in James 2. Here's the discussion. It's can dead faith save someone? The answer is no, absolutely not. A dead faith that doesn't produce any fruit, any works, is not a true faith. It's a dead faith that can't save someone. So he's talking about a genuine faith that saves someone, not a dead faith. Then he gives the example. If a brother or sister, they, they don't have food or they don't have clothing and they come in uh, to, your, to your meeting, to your assembly, and they don't have the proper food and clothing. They, in other words, they have this need 
we have the means to meet the need and we ignore it and we just say, depart in peace, you know, be warmed and filled, but we don't give them, verse 16, we don't give them the things that are needful to the body. He says, what does a profit? In other words, what is that? What is that? What good is that? If someone comes and we say, we basically pat them on the back, show them the door and we say, well, depart in peace. We'll pray for you. It's like, well, what good is that? The answer is it's no good. It's not a true, genuine faith. And this is what James is talking about. He's saying a faith that doesn't have fruit or good works is not a true saving faith. So he's not saying that we're saved, that we're declared righteous by our works. He's just saying that those works demonstrate a genuine faith. But here's the thing, it gets more complicated. I mean, it gets more complicated to the sense that like, there's actually like people that we can read in church history that have questioned like whether James is truly inspired. Like, hey, can we just get rid of that book? Because it'd be a lot easier if we didn't have it. But you know what you find is this. They are not, at, James and Paul are not at odds with one another. They actually go hand in hand. And it's just like we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about alleged contradictions. And sometimes atheists or unbelievers or people that preach a false gospel, they'll try to bring these things up. And, you know, maybe on the surface, it seems like, wow, this is just a contradiction that we can't reconcile. But it's like any of those contradictions, if you ignore it, gloss over it, that doubt's going to linger and creep in. But when you dive into it and hit it head on and, and, and find the truth and follow the truth, you know what you're going to find? There's a completely satisfactory, consistent biblical answer. And that, the argument I'm making is this, that is what we find here with James. Him and Paul are not, not conflicting with one another. They're actually complementing one another. When you look at Yes, the scripture is God-breathed, but we look at, at toda scriptura, or all of scripture, and let it speak. And you know what you find? You find harmony and unity, not contradiction. See, they're talking to two different audiences, right? It's like if you go to a doctor, and, and the doctor goes into your room, and he tells you, he gives you, the pers or he gives you the advice. You need to stay off your feet. Stay off your feet. Don't do anything for two months. That's his advice. He goes into another room and he tells someone, you need to be more active. You need to get out. You need to start walking. You need to start running. You need to get on the treadmill. Well, oh, the doctor's contradictory. No, he's talking to two different patients. One may have broke their foot and they need to put their, kick their feet up and not do anything. The other one, maybe they've got some health issues where they need to be more active and they need to get out and, and exercise. It's not contradictory. It's knowing what is the context of who he's talking to, what is the audience he's talking to. Well, Paul, when he talks about we're saved by faith alone, he's reminding people, look, it's not of your, your own merit, your own favor. It's of God's grace. Nothing, nothing you can achieve, nothing you can earn. Well, then James is writing. James is talking to people who claim to have faith, but it's a dead faith that has not produced any fruit. And yet they're claiming to, oh, I have faith. And he's saying, show me, show me. Because a genuine faith is going to produce something. So let's read on because I don't want to ignore uh, a, a difficult verse. Verse 21, Abraham, right? So we're talking about Abraham now. Wasn't he justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar? Ooh, that's a tough one. 
So Abraham was justified when God told him, you know, sacrifice your son and God didn't have them go through with it. Um, but basically saying, look, well, Abraham was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac. But wait a minute. Before we jump to a conclusion about that verse, keep in mind the time frame of this. Abraham was already declared righteous before God. When God came to Abraham and he said, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I want you to leave where you're at. Go to a place that I'm going to show you. And Abraham, what believed God and what does the Bible tell us that it was imputed or placed on his account righteousness because of his faith. That was years before Isaac. That was years and years before Isaac. So what James is saying is, he's saying that Abraham was justified by works. He's not saying that he was declared righteous before God by his works, but he's saying that those works demonstrated that he had true saving faith. Well, Jesus uses the word justified in a similar way. Jesus says this in the gospels. He says, wisdom is justified of her children. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying, you know, wisdom is declared righteous before God? No. He's saying wisdom is justified or wisdom is demonstrated by her children. In other words, you know it's wisdom by what it produces. And that is what James is saying. You know it's true saving faith and not a dead faith because what it produces. Because he goes on at the end, he says, look, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So what you find here in James chapter 2 is not a contradiction to what Paul's writing. You find that it's harmonizing. James is saying a dead faith that produces nothing cannot save you. I don't want to get into Pastor Larry's sermon because I know where he's going with the sermon next week when he talks about how that the believer is secure when we trust Christ, that we are kept by the power of God. We are sealed by the Spirit of God. And looking forward to that sermon. It's going to be a great one. I was talking to him about, I know he's going to, I know where he's going with it, so I don't want to encroach onto his sermon. But here's my concern. My concern is people that claim they have a faith. Maybe they point to a prayer that they prayed or a religious activity that they did once upon a time. Well, I was a, a, a child and, and I said a prayer or maybe I did a religious activity once and I even got baptized or I went forward and I shook the pastor's hand and I made this decision and I have this commitment card that I signed and, and I, I, I do these things. I've been through these confirmation class. The list can go on and on and someone will point to that, point to a maybe a religious experience, but it has been years and years and years and years ago, and there's no fruit in their life. There's no demonstration of a faith. Like there's none, none, like no desire for God and for righteousness. Now, are we going to follow God perfectly after we've been justified? No, because we're being sanctified. We're being made holy each and every day. You know, and thank God for his grace in that as well. Amen. Like we're saved by grace. And guess what? We're being sanctified by the grace of God. And thank God for that grace because we fall way, way short. And I'm not talking about that struggle and that conflict and that battle that we have with sin on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm talking about people that have no fruit in their life. No desire for God and for righteousness. 
You know, there was one individual I met. This was back in when I lived in Geneseo. And I met him. I was out doing door-to-door evangelism. And I met this man. And, you know, he was told me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian too, Joel. He's like, but I'm what you would call a carnal Christian. <laughs> That's what he told me. I'm what you would call a carnal Christian. In other words, he went on to talk about, you know, just this immoral lifestyle that he was living, was sleeping with whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted, had all these sinful habits, all of these things. But he's like, well, I said this prayer though, man, I'm good. It's like, actually... No, you're not good because what you're describing is not a true saving faith. A true saving faith doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that there's going to be new desires. It means that we're going to want to follow God, that we're going to want to follow his word, that we have a desire for righteousness and holiness. And yes, sure, we still have a flesh that we battle with and struggle with sin and will until, until the day that we die, until the day Christ returns and, and we have, this, have a glorified body. We'll struggle with sin. But the reality is this, a dead faith, and we see that all the time in people. And sometimes it kind of shocks us, right? Because you see people that claimed, you know, said one thing with their mouth, but they lived a completely separate, different life. That, oh, but they're good because they said the prayer. No, they're not good. They're not good. Because true faith is demonstrated by our works. So do James and Paul co contradict? No. How is one made righteous? How is one made holy before God? Is it by faith or by works or is it a combination of both? And as we see in scripture, it's clearly we are saved by faith alone, not by any works of the law. I want to close with giving two illustrations that I think really, um, really just solidify this. We look in the scripture. First of all, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus. Remember from John 3? Such a beautiful, beautiful passage. I love John 3. And when I'm going through the gospel and sharing the gospel with people, I'll always go to Romans, but I'll always go to John chapter 3. And I'll talk about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader in Israel. And Nicodemus is, comes to Jesus by night and he's asking him these questions about about Jesus teaching and, you know, what does it mean to be born again? And all these questions. Well, Nicodemus is a religious elite, so to speak. You know what Jesus tells him? You, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need a new birth. In other words, your religious activity is not what's going to save you. You need a rebirth. You need to believe. The very scripture that you teach that you claim to know so well. Again, those, they testify of the Messiah, of the Savior. And he says, you need new birth. Why? Because just having religious activities and checking off religious boxes is not what's going to save someone. Another example we see is the Apostle Paul, right? Who wrote this letter to Romans, who wrote the letter to the Galatians. Paul lists in Philippians, he lists this resume, of all of these things and all these religious things. And he was so zealous. He was following all of these laws. And in fact, not just what we see in the Old Testament and scripture, but then all these laws on top of that, that they made up. And Paul was quick to, uh, to, to, to admit saying, look, I, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, look, I followed all of these things. But then you know what he says in the same chapter? He says, I must be found not in my own righteousness that I think I've accomplished through the law, but I must be found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
because religious activity, religious motions will never save you. It is only faith in Jesus Christ as our Messiah, as the one who lived the righteous life we couldn't, who died for our sins, who rose again. It's through faith in him, faith not in our works, but in the finished work of Jesus. That is what justifies us. That is what makes us righteous before a holy God. And it seems like a lot of times the confusion that people have, it really is, is two, um, there's two different people, right? There's those who just can't grasp that it's not something that I do and that I can achieve. And, and you hear that, like when you talk to them, it's like, hey, it's faith in Jesus Christ alone. But then they'll always, when they're talking about being saved, it's like always they'll, they'll add in the conversation like what they've done or what they're doing. In other words, it's like, well, there's something that I do too. No, it's, it's by faith. It's not by what you do. It's not by your outward baptism. It's, it's not by, again, and baptism is a big, big deal. Pastor Larry's also going to do a whole sermon on that. So I'm not discrediting that. It's a huge deal where we publicly are identifying as a follower of Christ. But no righteous activity or work can save someone. We're saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. So some think, well, there's got to be something I do, something I can achieve. And then there's a different person and their mentality is, well, you don't know what I've done. I'm not worthy. I've done all these horrible things and I, I got to somehow, I've got to somehow achieve and, and make up for it. And both people fall into that same, same mistake though of thinking that it's something that we can do to gain favor with God. But grace means it's unmerited favor. It's undeserved. Faith in Jesus Christ, when we turn to faith in him, turn from sin to believing the gospel and believing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is what justifies us. That is what makes us righteous before God. So are we saved by faith or by works? Paul says this, Romans 3. Here's the conclusion. We conclude that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but by faith, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. Maybe honestly, this has been you. Like you've, you believe Jesus is your savior and you believe that he died on the cross, but in your mind, you think it's something you can do and, and achieve on your own or alongside of Christ. No, it is faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is what gives you and I a righteous standing before God is through faith alone. But I ask you this question also. For some that might claim a, a spiritual decision of, oh, I'm, I'm saved. But my question to you is this, honestly, do you have a true living faith? Is there works? Do you have new desires? Are you following Christ? Again, not perfectly, but is there a change in your life? Because true faith, living faith is going to be demonstrated by righteous works, by new desires, by following Christ. And so I ask you this question to examine your heart and life. And maybe God's speaking to you now because for some of you, you don't have that peace with God. You don't have the peace of God in your life. And there's constant turmoil of wondering like, you know, what, what about your, your soul? What about eternity? What's going to happen when you take your last breath here in this life? And maybe the reason you don't have that peace of God is because you've never made peace with God as, as far as putting your faith in Christ 
and him alone to be your savior. And so maybe today for some of you that are here in, in the service or, or someone that's maybe watching and listening right now, maybe God's just really speaking to you and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about just resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, putting your faith in him, calling upon him as your Lord and Savior. I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, but uh, an individual has been coming to Crosspoint now for several months. They told me, they said, it's just like, hey, the light went off where I just, I get it. So then I, I, I called on Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he said this just yesterday, I was talking with them. We were meeting together and he said, the way I think and the way I look at life is just totally changed. Like I see God's working in all of these things. Is this person claiming he's perfect and doesn't struggle with sin? No, of course not. But he's saying, look, I had a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and called upon him as my savior. And he's changed me and he is changing me. And I ask you, have you experienced that change? Do you have a living faith? Because it's a living faith, a genuine faith in Christ that's going to be demonstrated in how we live.